It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. So welcome to this uh, edition, the postseason edition of the uh, Twin Bills podcast uh, with my uh, my least favorite Neil Diamond song, but it's uh, apropos because we'll be hearing this tonight at Fenway Park. Uh, right, uh, Bill Koch? At some point we're going to be hearing it. We'll see what kind of mood the crowd is in by right. the eighth inning. Right. Uh, generally, by that point, for, for those who aren't in the media... Uh, I'll have my head down writing my story. Of course, and filling uh, out by, your expense reports between innings. Yeah, by that point in the game, I, I, uh, <laughs> I've heard Neil Diamond probably about 65 times this year, right. and, and I can't say that I've actually listened to Neil Diamond <laughs> once. Uh, this is Bill Corey, uh, by the way, sports editor of the Providence Journal, uh, and, and that was uh, Red Sox beat writer uh, Bill Koch, who has joined me here in Providence. Uh, a few hours before the Red Sox opened the postseason, Tonight against, lo and behold, the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me be the first to say that uh, this is not a surprise. I fully thought the Yankees would get, would get by the A's, and that that really even wasn't close, was it, Bill? No. From the time that Aaron Judge hit a two-run home run in the first inning, it, it sort of had an air of inevitability yeah. about it. Uh, you know, honestly, I just think Oakland lost the game the second they turned in the lineup card. I don't like the concept of the opener. I think it's a gimmick. I don't think it's successful long term. Um, I think it sends an awful message to to your team. It, it, it basically says we have no starting pitchers. We have no horse that we can run out there right. who can drag us through six or seven innings. Uh, you are flawed and poorly constructed. Right. We're going to just tie this together uh, with the bubble gum and and uh, fishing wire and hope and, something happens. And I think that the biggest point I made to a couple friends was if you have a good starter in a playoff game. You only really need two or three guys to pitch well mm-hmm. to get through nine innings. If you're going to start with the bullpen and use the opener, you need six or seven guys to pitch well to get through nine innings. The percentages just don't favor twice as many guys pitching well all on the same night as it would two or three guys. Right, right. You know, I guess on one hand, I take my uh, cap off to guys like uh, Bob Melvin and Kevin Cash, who kind of flipped the script this year and, and tried something different with the pitching staff. But, you know, baseball's been played for over 100 years, and there's probably a reason why you have a starting pitcher that you want to go deep in, into the game and then bring somebody fresh out of the bullpen. Uh, because, uh, as you said a few moments before we started recording this, not all outs are, are created equal. And those outs in the eighth and ninth innings are a lot more uh, difficult uh, to nail down than the second and third inning. I just think that you you end up putting pitchers into unfamiliar positions. And I think Alex Cora probably spent the last two or three weeks with the Red Sox sort of trying to get his guys exposed to roles that he might think they will fill in the playoffs. He used Eduardo Rodriguez in relief. Uh, he used Stephen Wright with men on base, You know, just in case. You look at the A's the other night. Blake Trinan, their great closer, was in the game in the sixth inning. He'd pitched prior to the eighth inning this season one time. Right. You're going to ask him to do that for a second time under that kind of pressure down two to nothing at Yankee Stadium in a winner go home game. It's just too much to ask, even for a supremely talented player like that. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so let's turn our attention a little bit to tonight's game here. And um, I want to make note of the story that you had in today's Providence Journal. 
which I thought was a very good one. It, it looked at the uh, Red Sox and the Yankees, and it made the point that uh, both teams are loaded with young stars, uh, and that this is a rivalry that probably should uh, be going strong for the next several years. You look at the rosters of both teams, and you've got uh, great young players that aren't costing either team a lot of money, well, for the most part. Uh, and hopefully we'll be seeing a lot of Red Sox-Yankees games that mean a lot over the next two, three, four, five years. Right, Bill? Yeah, uh, credit where credit is due. This story, this concept, <clears throat> was Bill Corey's idea. Um, I was fortunate enough to take it and run with it uh, the way it was. And Every now and then I have a good one. Uh, well, no, and it, and it, actually, it, it actually ended up being a lot of fun for me because you get to go back to 2004 and, and Game 7 uh, in Yankee Stadium, that American League Championship Series, the Red Sox coming back from three games to none down to win the series. Um, and what the folks here at the Journal wanted me to look at was sort of the state of the rivalry and, and whether or not we could be at the start of something special here. And if you look at the ages on these rosters compared to where we were in 2004, uh, this could be the start of another one of those five or six year periods that the Yankees and the Red Sox enjoyed at that time. Um, Bill, I told you this before we came on. When I look back at that Game 7 at Yankee Stadium, I remember watching it at the time, but I don't remember thinking how old both teams were. This is this is 04 we're talking in about, 04, right? Yes. Yeah. You, in 04, yes. In that Game 7 at Yankee Stadium, 32 players appeared in that game. 19 of them were age 30 or older. Wow, yeah. Um, tonight at Fenway Park for Game 1 of the American League Division Series, depending on a couple decisions by Alex Cora, you could have 15 out of 20 players being in their 20s. Mm. Um, you know, so we're really, we really are set up potentially for the next three or four seasons to have the Yankees and the Red Sox be right there with each other and playing for big stakes in October. Absolutely. And unfortunately, if you are a Red Sox fan, you have to give the, uh, the uh, nod to the Yankees when it comes to financial flexibility here because they are uh, they have a lot more money to spend moving forward if you want to stay under that uh, that cap, don't they? Yeah, the Yankees uh, only have just over $88 million committed uh, to their 2019 payroll. They only have five players signed at this point. Giancarlo Stanton, Masahiro Tanaka, Jacoby Ellsbury, who oh, yeah, is, remember him? Is, is just wasted <laughs> money at $21 million. Uh, Araldus Chapman and then Brett Gardner they have an option on, which may or may not be declined. We'll see. Uh, he's sort of been replaced in the outfield and, and could be uh, by Stanton, Aaron Hicks, and Aaron Judge uh, going forward. But you look at the Yankees in terms of uh, the players that they have under team control for, for a long time here. Um, you know, you're talking about Aaron Judge, um, you know, Aaron Hicks, Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, Miguel Andujar, Glaber Torres, Luke Voigt. Most of those guys are, are in their arbitration years. Uh, Judge, Sanchez, and Severino don't hit free agency until 2023. And Duhar, Torres, and Voigt don't hit free agency until 2024. Yeah, wow. You know, so you're talking about four or five years into the future, their core pieces are going to be there. And obviously Stanton is signed through 2027 to a monster contract. Uh, so the Yankees are, are in really good position here 
uh, with a free agent class coming out next season that that is star studded, they could make a bid for Bryce Harper or, or Manny Machado or even Craig Kimbrell mm. if they would like to bolster their bullpen. or two of those guys, you know, or three of them, right? Uh, right. You know, you the the one great thing about the Red Sox and the Yankees, and I concluded the story with this, is that given how competitive they are and the financial resources available to both teams. It pretty much guarantees that they're always going to try to improve, whether it be through free agency or through a trade or through spending on international free agents, which is something that both teams have done very well here in recent years. Uh, the Red Sox have some international players who will play a part in this series, whether it be Rafael Devers or Xander Bogarts. Uh, the Yankees, obviously, Luis Severino will pitch in this series. Gleyber Torres, who they traded for, was an international free agent mm-hmm. signing. Um, you know, So that's also a market that they've tapped. I, I think that's what it takes to be an elite year-over-year contender in baseball these days. Not only do you need to make good decisions in free agency and make good decisions via trade, but you need to sink a lot of money into your development system. And the Yankees, by trading Araldis Chapman and trading Andrew Miller in previous seasons, sort of have a little bit of a head start on the Red Sox in terms of restocking their system. Right, but I would say, obviously, with the new ownership group um, in Boston, um, you know, they're not so new anymore, but with John Henry and, and company, they certainly are willing to step up to the plate uh, because they know that Boston fans, for the most part, don't put up with rebuilding years. Uh, if the Yankees are good, then the Red Sox uh, are expected to be good. Um, so uh, it'll be fun to watch over these next several years. I mean, the Red Sox have some question marks coming up. You know, uh, Bogarts, uh, you know, his, his agent is Scott, Scott Boris, I believe. Uh, not anymore or still Boris yeah, still Boris yes. right so you know that's not going to be an easy negotiation when that when that uh, comes up um, you know uh, I'm not sure when Mookie comes out but he, he's getting close isn't he uh, let's take a look at the Red Sox yeah. here um, they're still in very good shape by the way okay. uh, their window just might be a little tighter mm-hmm. um, David Price is signed long term he could opt out after this year not happening seems unlikely <laughs> right. uh, JD Martinez could opt out after next year yeah. which which could be uh, an issue for them yeah because they got him at a, at a pretty good deal for for the for the team but he might have another monster year next year and say hey you know, I'm, I'm y- Yankees have some money to spend, um, <laughs> or someone else, right? Craig Kimbrell is up this year. Chris Sale will be up after next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of some of the younger guys, Xander Bogarts you have until 2020. Mookie Betts you have until 2021. Uh, Andrew Benintendi you have until 2023. Uh, Matt Barnes, Raphael Devers, Blake Swihart, Ryan Brazier, all those guys are going to be around into the early 2020s. Um, the the one difference with the Red Sox being that they've spent a lot more money on this year's roster mm-hmm. uh, and will spend more next year. They're already committed just over $132 million, um, which puts them about 95 under that first uh, – uh, 65 under that first luxury – tax threshold. threshold yeah. um, you know, but Boston is certainly well positioned to be a very good team again next year and in 2020. Uh, and then going forward, we'll see. Uh, they'll obviously, like the Yankees will, the Red Sox will make moves. They'll be active in free agency. They'll be active in the trade market. They've also sort of started to rebuild their system here through Michael Chavis or Jake Room. Um, you know, they could have some guys emerge. Uh, actually, if you look at their lineup for what it's going to be tonight in game one, um, 
it is relatively good from the standpoint of being homegrown. Mookie Betts was one of theirs. Andrew Benintendi was one of theirs. Xander Bogarts was an international free agent signing. Raphael Devers was an international signing. Uh, Jackie Bradley was drafted by them. Blake Swihart was drafted by them. Um, so they have done a, a reasonable job here. This isn't the team of mercenaries that right. some people like to point out, and, and it's not necessarily all financial waste. The, these guys uh, are a good blend of, of sort of outside players and inside players. So uh, let's dig in uh, on tonight's game. Chris Sale takes the mound for the uh, for the Sox uh, against uh, J.A. Happ for the uh, Yankees, game one of the uh, ALDS. And i got to say, there's probably a lot of interest in that first inning Chris Sale, what's he going to throw? Does he have his velocity? Is he fully healed? And uh, I got a kick out of yesterday's news conference. You were up there for it. I was. Uh, and boy, Sale was all business, wasn't he? Uh, that's generally how he is. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how he sounds just about every single day uh, in the clubhouse behind closed doors. Uh, very candid, um, very honest. Uh, you know, and he is a thoughtful guy in terms of his own performance, in terms of pitching, in terms of. Um, you know, sort of the big picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when he says, um, you know, he comes right out and was asked about his postseason failings last year, in particular his start in game one in Houston. And he says, I'm not going to hide from it. It is what it is. You can Google it now, tomorrow, and 100 years from now, and it's going to be there. I own it. I accept it. And like I said, I'm going to be better. I'm going to do everything I can to be better. You talk about taking ownership of something. I don't think you can do it much better than that. No, absolutely. And, he, and he's always been that way. And yes, Chris he has. Sale has always been the stand-up guy, and if he hasn't pitched well, you know, he doesn't really blame anybody but himself. Uh, but uh, you know, tonight it will definitely be a uh, a big test for uh, for Sale and for this Red Sox team that you know. Uh, everyone says, "Oh, the 108 wins don't mean a lot, depending on what they do in October." Well, here here we are in October, and we'll see. And we'll- and there are there are two schools of thought on sale here, Bill, and I'm I'm interested to find out which one you fall into. Um, the first school of thought is that his velocity is down; he's hurt mm. in some way. He's trying to pitch through something; it's not going to be there. You're going to see a diminished version of Chris Sale. Uh, and he's going to sort of have to craft his way through yep. his postseason outings. Mm-hmm. The second version, which is something that Joe Girardi and, and Harold Reynolds discussed last night on MLB Network, was that Sale was just going out there his last two or three outings to get his pitch count up, get his work in, and not necessarily extend himself to the point where he could risk having a setback and not be able to pitch in the division series. And that he's going to come out tonight all guns blazing, and you're going to see 96 and 97 right away in the first inning and that that playoff adrenaline is sort of going to give him a shot to the point where you're going to see something approaching the Chris Sale of midseason who was dominant. I wonder which uh, which uh, which guy you expect to see. I, I expect the latter. I, I think that, I do too. I think that he, um, oddly enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I mean, he may be hurt and we don't really know. And you, you're right. If he goes out there and we're seeing 91, 92 on the gun, uh, you know, through the first inning, then, yeah, there's there's something going on because we know that's not Chris Sale. But, um, you know, we said it many times uh, throughout the regular season. The Red Sox built themselves that built themselves that big cushion. Uh, Chris Sale was not pitching a whole lot toward the end of the year. And there really wasn't a whole a lot of incentive for him to go out there and just leave it all on the line on that last start. Uh, I think he was, for the most part, as they say in spring training, getting his work in. 
and we'll see. I mean, I do expect to see 95, 96 on the gun, 97 on the gun uh, tonight in Fenway. Um, you know, but one thing that he said in, in yesterday's press conference, which I thought was, uh, well, it, you know, it, it was memorable. He said, you know, I expect to win. I don't care what I have. I expect to win. You know, if he's, if he's only got a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, he's going to go to some other pitches. And you just love hearing that stuff. Now, of course, you're facing a fantastic Yankees lineup. So, you know, you're not going to be throwing 93-mile-an-hour fastballs by many of those guys. But um, I, I, I think we're going to see the, uh, the Chris Sale of earlier this summer. Um, I hope we do anyway. I, I tend to agree, and I, I, I also, you know, was struck by what he said. Uh, you know, and you just referenced that the next excuse that comes out of that guy's mouth will be the first. Right. right. He's not going to come out after the game tonight if if he doesn't have it and gets beat and says, "Well, I was hurt." No, no. If, I he, if he stinks, he'll he'll say, "I suck." That's right. You know. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, let's uh, turn our attention to the roster. Uh, uh, last time we did the Twin Bills, we talked about your. Um, your projected roster, and you were pretty darn close. I was close. The only guy really uh, that that I think raised some eyebrows was the fact that uh, Joe Kelly made the made the roster cut, and Heath Hembree did not. Um, you know, Joe Kelly has not been exactly a uh, Rolaids Relief Man uh, award winner this year. He, he's been closer uh, to an arsonist than a firefighter. Exactly. That's for so, sure. why why is he on this team? You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I actually. You know, like you said, I missed one guy. I had Heath Embry on the roster and Joe Kelly off. Um, Brandon Workman making it, to me, wasn't a big surprise. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think if you look at a couple things that Alex Cora has said throughout the season, um, he values Workman's postseason experience. He's the only pitcher on the Red Sox who has a World Series ring that coming in 2013. Uh, the other thing that Cora and, and Dana Levangi uh, and Brian Bannister have, have emphasized is the concept of pitching vertically. Um, you know, sort of operating in the same tunnel up and down, throwing fastballs at the top of the zone, and then throwing breaking balls that start at the top of the zone look like fastballs and break down. Mm. Um, and it, it's sort of, you know, if you're a hitter, it messes with timing, it messes with your eye level. Um, you know, that's all hitting is, is timing and, and perception. Um, you know, so Workman being on this roster isn't necessarily a surprise. With Kelly... Uh, versus Hembry, which I think were probably the last two guys considered. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at their numbers a little bit uh, after the roster was announced, and you can make a legitimate case that Kelly, despite his struggles in September, uh, really throughout the second half of the season, right. you could make a reasonable case that Kelly should be included over Hembry. You look at him against the Yankees this year, uh, eight games, a 164 whip, a 368 ERA. Not pretty. Hembry against the Yankees in eight games, a 217 whip, and a 12 ERA. Oh, uh, so far, far worse. Yeah. Uh, then you, you build it out to their careers at Yankee Stadium. Uh, for Kelly, nine games, 20 and a third innings, a 1.38 whip, a 443 ERA. For Hembry, 12 games, only seven and a third innings, a three whip, and an 11.05 ERA. Um, So if you're just comparing those two men, whether it be this season or their career on the road uh, at Yankee Stadium, I think it was a pretty easy choice. I I also think that, you know, in Kelly's case, um, you add the numbers and the fact that 
Cora constantly cites Kelly's raw stuff. He's seduced by it. He's enthralled with it. The fact that he can throw 100 miles an yeah. hour, the fact that he has the slider and the changeup and the variety in his pitches, uh, and he he goes back to that 24-25 appearance string in April, May, and June where Kelly was very good. Right. Um, and I think part of Cora is just convinced that maybe he can recapture that at some point now. I'm I'm not necessarily. I, I don't necessarily have any faith in that. Yeah. Um, but that's probably what the manager is thinking in this case. And so, you know, circumstantially, if you wanted to build some evidence and, and sort of make a decision, I guess you could say that Kelly deserved it over Hembrick. Uh, possibly. Uh, but I think, you know, the reality here is that, at least my opinion, and I think yours too, that we probably aren't going to, we probably are not going to see Joe Kelly in a high leverage situation in this series and you know we don't know that for sure but you know in terms of the 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 bullpen arms that are going to be uh, called upon in those high leverage situations i'm thinking more along the lines of matt barnes ryan brazier obviously craig kimbrell i think joe kelly and brandon workman are at the end of that line yeah cora said uh, leading up to the roster decisions that they had 23 out of the 25 men set yeah. and they were just trying to decide on two pitchers uh you would imagine that group included uh kelly workman hembry and probably bobby pointer as well um you know pointer's walk rate is excellent um his strikeout to walk is excellent uh, the fact that he gave up home runs in three of his last six appearances, including one against the Yankees, probably didn't help him. Right. Um, you know, and just you look at Pointer, and, and in terms of his stuff, he's left-handed. He's sort of pedestrian. The fastball is ninety. Uh, throws the change up off of that. Not really much of a breaking ball. Um, you know, so you're probably looking at just raw stuff. Kelly's is way better. It's not close. Mm. Um, Pointer also has reverse splits. He actually handles righties better than lefties. Uh, so the Red Sox didn't necessarily have a, a sort of left-handed specialist, a left-left matchup guy that they would have included just for the sake of it. Pointer doesn't really fit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you ended up with Workman and Kelly out of that four-man group. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's take a look ahead a little bit here. Um, we've got uh, Sale going for the Sox tonight. We've got David Price going for the Sox on Saturday. Uh, game three starter will be Rick Porcello in New York. And then it'll be uh, Nathan Eovaldi in game four. Uh, does that surprise you at all? Um, uh, we know how well Eovaldi has done against the Yankees at times. Um, but, you know, Erod, I guess, was the other guy in that mix. Um, any any thoughts on that, uh, on the game four guy? Well, in terms of Evaldi, uh, I, I think the decision kind of made itself. Uh, you know, Evaldi, in 16 innings since his trade from Tampa to Boston against mm-hmm. the Yankees, yep. hasn't given up an earned run. Right. Um, you know, he's had two very strong starts, eight scoreless innings at home, three hits uh, in a 4-1 win in August. He had another strong start at Yankee Stadium in September. Uh, where he threw six scoreless and the bullpen gave it away late. They lost a the game three to two on a Neil Walker three run homer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very good in that game and then had a little bit of a tune up at the end of the season, only through two innings. He gave up an unearned run. Wasn't a big deal. He was just out there to get 30, 40 pitches in. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing for Evaldi, aside from his success against the Yankees, how do the Yankees score their runs? They hit home runs. Evaldi's home run rate. Per nine innings, he gives up half a home run per nine innings. 
So you look at that and you compare it to the the rest of the Red Sox staff. Eduardo Rodriguez gives up 1.1 home runs per nine innings, mm. twice as many as Evaldi uh, in that span. Um, if you're looking for a guy to pitch in Yankee Stadium, Evaldi's last outing and then Rodriguez's last outing, also in the same series, didn't get out of the fourth inning. Right. Uh, the Red Sox ended up winning that game, but you can't bank on them scoring 11 runs against the Yankees in a postseason game, in a game four, to try and win a game there. Uh, so I think that, again, you see Cora sort of playing the percentages here, playing the recent track record, thinking that of all these 100-mile-an-hour fastball, his cut fastball, uh, the splitter, which looked very good the other night against Baltimore in, in his you know sort of last real start, mm-hmm. um, you feel like that, He's going to be able to, you know, go out and be able to execute against the Yankees lineup. I agree with that. Uh, you know, I think the the uh, uh, the one thing that's up in the air here is, let's say the Red Sox are down two games to one, uh, and they're going into Game Four, um, which would be at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I, I'm assuming Ivaldi is going to have a very short leash, and I'm wondering if. Chris Sale is is available out of out of the bullpen on on, on that day. Well, I actually asked Chris Sale that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I asked him, you know, from a physical standpoint, is he available to pitch on short rest mm. or to pitch in relief? And he said yes. Mm. Um, it was an unequivocal yes. He he didn't put any conditions on it. Uh, whether or not he's just saying that, we'll see. Because right. as you know, and and the track record is long established. In recent years, starters pitching on three days rest do not have much success right. in the playoffs. Um, and starters coming in in relief, he did it last year against the Astros, uh, actually had a decent stint, but still took the loss in Game 4 of that series. Uh, and the Red Sox were ultimately eliminated mm-hmm. uh, three games to one against Houston. Um, so you wonder, would the temptation be to start Sale and have Evaldi behind him? Mm. Or to start Evaldi and have Sale behind right. him. Uh, if you do that, though, you lose Sale for a game Obviously, five, and yeah. and you know that would be back at Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. It stands to reason that with the extra couple days of rest and with the home field advantage, that's a much better position for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where managerial decisions come in and get heightened. And, and right. Cora addressed this. Uh, he was watching the pair of game one sixty threes in the National League when the Cubs played the Rockies. Uh, yeah, sorry, the Cubs played the Brewers and right. the Rockies played the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And Cora was asked whether or not he was watching those as a fan or as a manager. And he said, I was watching it just for fun. I'm a baseball fan. I love the game. But I did find myself at one point when Joe Madden was going out to make a pitching change or pinch hitting thinking, ooh, I'm going to have to make a decision like this and they're going to dissect me right. whether it works out or whether it doesn't. Yeah. Exactly right, Alex. That's right. That, that's what you signed up for. Especially here. now. Uh, yeah, no abs- question. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and uh, just just a personal aside, it, it didn't break my heart to see Joe Madden lose the game. Just, Why? <laughs> just not a Joe Madden guy. You know, you... Stop talking about wine and get back to baseball, you know? You anyway. and one of our night copy desk stalwarts, Bob McGarry, right. you both... We don't like share him. a dislike for Joe yeah. Madden. I, I don't well, really, I don't Bob, really understand it. Bobby doesn't like a lot of people. Well, that's true. Definitely, Joe Madden is on the list. Right? That's true. I, I just um, don't understand it yeah. because because the guy is cultured because he likes to talk about wine know. and he's a bit he just, he just a bit eccentric. The wrong way. I don't. Know. It could be that you know he was the uh, Rays manager for all those years and always put together a really tough team with a bunch of nobodies. I, and you you're thinking as a Red Sox guy, you know, Red Sox fan, oh they'll they'll just go down there and beat the crap out of those guys. And it was always tough. You know, my my dream scenario and you'll really be disgusted with this, was uh, when Terry Francona was fired or 
you know, when they right. separated from him, however yeah. they turned. Fired is a good word, yeah. And when Theo Epstein moved on to the Cubs, yeah. I wanted the Red Sox to cut a blank check to the Rays for Andrew Friedman and Joe Madden. Mm. Uh, Andrew Friedman is, is the player personnel czar now with the Dodgers. Yeah. You see what he's done, not only in Tampa in the 2000s, like 2007, 2008, 2009, when they were when mm-hmm. they really had it rolling. They had all that young talent. Um, and you always wondered what he would do if he had some resources backing him. Right. Like the Red Sox resources. Mm-hmm. Like the Dodgers resources now. He's got high-priced guys and he's got young studs. It's an amazing combination. Uh, and certainly Joe Madden would have been better than Bobby Valentine, no? Well, anybody. You and I would have been better than Bobby Valentine. Yeah, but Bobby Valentine's time had passed, and I'm not sure what Larry Lacuna was thinking at the time, but uh, anyway. Uh, oh, and another uh, favorite manager of mine, and not so much, uh, Buck Showalter is, is no longer with the Orioles. And look, uh, Buck's been a good manager for a long time and, and had some very good teams, but you know, 115 losses will do will do that to you, right? Well, Dan Duquette as well, obviously, yeah, right. is out in the front office there, the former Red Sox GM. Uh, spare a thought for Jeremy Capstein, who, who is involved in the front office there. Uh, Providence was, guy, yeah. Providence guy who was uh, prominently involved in, in building the 04 championship Red Sox. Right. Uh, he's been working in the front office as, as a special advisor in Baltimore. And, you know, I'm sure Jeremy, with his experience in the game and his connections, will, will land on his feet uh, if he isn't retained. But spare him a thought if you would. Sure, sure. So uh, with that, I think we will wrap up this first uh, postseason edition of the Twin Bills. Uh, I'm excited about October baseball. There's always that chill in the air. Everything is magnified. You know, I'm sure uh, Fenway Park will just be raucous and rowdy tonight. And hey, it's Red Sox Yankees in the postseason. What's better than that, Bill Koch? Yeah, we've waited 14 years for it to see it again. And uh, I can say that after being up at Fenway the last three days for press conferences and workouts and whatever else, I'm ready to get the game started. There's, Absolutely. there's nothing like postseason baseball. Yeah. I was saying to Bill Reynolds before we came in here, you hang on every single pitch. Everything is every pitch is is worth so much more and uh Absolutely, there's you can you can sort of cut the drama with a knife. Yeah, just that that pacing, that sort of twenty second wait for another pitch and another pitch, and you put a couple men on base and you make it the eighth inning, and right. you know, all of a sudden you find yourself sort of leaning forward with your hands on your knees, and and you can't wonder, you can't help but wonder what's going to happen next. It it really is the best. Although you know who hates postseason baseball, especially Red Sox Yankees night games. Yeah, any uh, any media member, anyone on a night anybody desk. on the copy desk at any newspaper. Oh, goodness, right? yeah. But anyway, we will we will uh, toil through here. Uh, Bill, this was fun. Let's do this again next week when the Yankees and Red Sox will be either done or close to finishing up. Yes. All right.